You've got shit. I've got shit. We've all got shit. So let's therapize that shit with your host, me, Joy Gerhard. Please note, I am not a therapist. I cannot and do not diagnose anyone or prescribe anything. This is just me, someone who struggles with mental illness, emotions, and intrusive thoughts, sharing what skills I've used and how I've used them. Also, trigger warning, trigger warning, in this podcast, I talk about sensitive topics including mental illness, suicidal ideation, self-harm, rape, childhood sexual assault, trauma, and more. I also swear here and there, so listener discretion is advised. If you're new to the podcast, some context for you. I've gotten a ton of value out of doing group therapy and watching others process their shit. In group, I can see other people's patterns and behaviors much more clearly because they aren't my patterns and behaviors, but rather they're adjacent to mine. It's such a relief. A relief. I want to share this relief with you via this podcast, wherein I practice skills while actually in the thick of shit. Each episode, I typically do an introduction and provide some context. Then I play a recording of me actively dealing with shit. This isn't me talking about psychology or theories. I'm I'm actually in distress, having strong emotions and strong urges. You're going to hear me crying, angry, numb. But my intention is always to move through an emotion, never to stay there. So stick with me, and we'll actually come out on the other side by the end of the episode. Alrighty, let's hop to it. Welcome, welcome. Um, I'm doing something a little bit different today because there's a genocide happening and I need to talk about it. I think everybody needs to talk about it. And there's a huge amount of misinformation happening, um, a lot of propaganda happening. And so I wanted to share the collection of voices that have been really impactful in helping me understand what's going on. Um, And so that's what I'm going to do. I have a spreadsheet that I will link in the bio that has all of the references that I'm using numbered. And before I play or read any of them to you, I'm going to tell you what reference number it is. So you can go and watch the videos or read the articles or what have you. Um, A lot of this is going to be Instagram and TikTok videos um, and various and sundry websites. Uh, This whole episode is also going to be a um, a video on YouTube. So you can actually watch all the videos that I've included there and um, see the screenshots of the articles and Instagram posts, etc. Um, something else I wanted to say, um, this isn't going to be edited. I'm just going to talk and we're going to take it as it is. And um, so it's going to be a lot more clunky than my normal podcast episodes are, but I hope you bear with me. Um, and I also, in case you're here for therapy stuff, we are going to use therapy skills because we're going to use a shit ton of both ands um, because there's a lot of things that can be true simultaneously. Um, and I'm going to go through all of those and we're going to have a 
multiple videos, multiple podcast episodes about this because um, I have like 80 plus videos and posts and stuff um, that I want to share. So most of this is not going to be me talking. Most of this is going to be um, other accounts of folks, uh, the majority of whom are going to be Middle Eastern themselves or Jewish. Um, that's that <laughs> you're watching me not edit right here. Um, Middle Eastern themselves that can also include Jewish. Um, we've got Middle Eastern voices, a lot of Palestinian voices, some Jewish voices. We're going to hear from some Irish folks because the Irish are just fucking awesome. Um, and they know a thing or two about being colonized. Um, we're going to hear from some, there's going to be some news reports, um, or like interviews done on news programs. Um, I will do my best to t pronounce things as best I can. But again, if you want to see how something is written out, because my pronunciation is going to be absolute shit, go to the spreadsheet that I have linked in the, in the description here, and you can see all of the references. Because, of course, I am also autistic, so I get a little obsessive about making sure everything is properly referenced and put in a spreadsheet. My happy place. Okay, so let's start. Um, I'm just going to start from the beginning. Uh, free Palestine. Like, that's my stance, uh, unequivocally. And I found a guy who says it better than I can. So we're going to go listen to him. Um, this is a fellow from the Utica Masjid or I think I'm pronouncing that right. I don't know. Um, and uh, that's another word for a mosque in Utica, New York. He's a Muslim man, and this is what he has to say. We're with the Palestinian resistance 100%. No ifs, no ands, no buts, no equivocations, no apologies, no condemnations. We don't need to go any further than that. Right? Some people want to criticize the table manners of a starving person. You don't criticize the table manners of a starving person. You let them eat, right? You want to talk about, well, they shouldn't be doing things this way or they should be doing things that way. All right, get your boot off my neck and then Right? And it's like, this occupation has been going on for however many years. Stop the occupation and then we'll talk. Then we can talk about table manners. Then we can talk about this tactic and that tactic, right? But what happens is every single time is that we, we zoom in on the details and we forget about the bigger picture. And that's why we say Palestine has to be free first, period. And then we'll talk. Okay, so that was reference number 82. Um, it's, it's a TikTok video. And that is my stance. Um, just so everybody knows. Okay, moving on. We're to with the, next the Palestinian thing. resistance 100%. <laughs> I just started the video no again. ifs, no ands, no buts. Period. And then we'll talk. There we go. Okay. Now we can go on to the next video. My apologies. This is going to be so clunky. Okay, up next is um, reference number 83 from the TikTok account at Gigi's Therapy World. And Gigi is a queer Egyptian Muslim therapist and abolitionist. And I've talked about them a lot because they talk a lot about um, liberation psychology and abolition within a therapy framework. So this is what they have to say. If you do not actively support the liberation of Palestinian people, do not call yourself a trauma-informed therapist or a therapist led by an anti-oppressive framework. Because Palestine has been under occupation for over seven years with ethnic cleansing and genocide being the norm. And that means generations of collective trauma being passed down and that is chronic and ongoing. You do not get to selectively decide what you are going to be trauma-informed about or which systems at play you're going to call out. Because Zionism and white supremacy are interlinked, and you cannot say that you are 
for decolonization or for land back or anti-state and actively be pro-Israel or pro-Zionism. Because there are a lot of mental health accounts that are very silent right now with what's happening in occupied Palestine. It is not too late to educate yourself and speak up about what's happening. Okay, awesome. Moving on to our next thing here. If I can, hang on. Okay, um, this one is from an Instagram post by Najwa Zabian, a Lebanese-Canadian activist and writer. This is reference number B as in boy. Um, anytime I have a video or that's audio, um, those are going to be numbered, and anything I'm reading to you myself is going to be with a letter. Um, and this is the quote on their post. Quote, Advocating for the human rights of Palestinians does not mean you are pro-Hamas. Advocating for the human rights of Palestinians does not mean you are pro-ending Jewish lives. Advocating for the human rights of Palestinians does not mean you are anti-Semitic. Being anti-Israeli government regime against Palestinians and their imposed apartheid on Palestinians does not mean you are anti-Semitic. Empathizing with the ethnic cleansing of Palestinians does not mean you don't empathize with the murders and violence against our Jewish brothers and sisters. Cutting water and electricity off for 2.3 million innocent Palestinians, half of whom are children, is not the answer. Ethnic cleansing is not the answer. Selective empathy is not the answer. Valuing one human life over the other is not the answer. Okay, moving on to the next one here. Alrighty, this next one comes from an account, a TikTok account called at Joris Explains. Um, this is an Afro-Caribbean man who talks a lot about systems of oppression. And this is a video where he's going to talk about the systemic versus the individual. Uh, this is reference number 49, by the way. I've received a surprising amount of messages from people claiming to support my work but saying that they can't believe I would reshare the posts of Jewish people condemning Israel's systemic oppression or sharing the voices of Palestinians. And I'm surprised that you're surprised. Have I not been saying that for years now? As individual understanding our position in systems, we can be both a victim and participating in oppression. So I'm trying to understand what's not clicking. And then I realized that when it comes to Israel versus Palestine, I'm in a tricky position. See, my work is usually based on starting from the individual experience to then explain a systemic issue. Now, the problem with Israel and Palestine is that typically the individual experience is used to ignore the systemic issue, to distract from, to obfuscate the fundamental systemic inequality involved here. If you pay attention to the media coverage, there's always this sleight of hand whereby we keep switching between individual pain and terror and the systemic suffering. And people who don't understand systems don't see the difference. That's because we live in a society that stands to benefit from us not understanding how systems affect the individual. Because it's all about hyper-individualism, right? Just consume individually, but never perceive yourself as part of a system. Worse yet, caring about systemic suffering and caring about individual pain are being framed as mutually exclusive. So then when you try to talk about the systemic nature of the conflict, you get accused of being insensitive to the individual pain, or you're being accused of promoting individual pain being inflicted upon people. 
See, this is what I'm talking about when I talk about the colonial project in this context. The colonized bodies are being denied their individuality and the colonizer, and here by colonizer, I don't mean Jewish people in Israel, I mean the entire Western world. The colonizer are also being alienated from the systems that they're a part of and that they participate in. So that's why there's almost no point in me trying to have a conversation when there's no prior understanding of systemic oppression in the first place. But I see reasons to be hopeful though. It's becoming more and more difficult for the Western media to ignore the voices of Palestinians and also to ignore the Jewish people speaking up against the actions of the Israeli government. But in the meantime, I believe we're on the brink of witnessing a genocide. I hear the discourses, I see the rhetoric and the language being used to demonize, to dehumanize an entire population. And I recognize what happened in Rwanda. I am really, really scared for what's about to happen. So please keep an eye out. Call this shit out. Alrighty. Yes. Um, and because these are a lot of these are TikTok videos, um, there's there's visuals on the videos that they're not necessarily reading out loud. Um, so if you want to actually see the entire videos again, go to the spreadsheet, check out the reference numbers. That was video number 49. Um, yeah. All right. Moving on. All right. So. This next one is reference number 50, 45 from a TikTok account at 5hahem, H-A-H-E-M, which is from a therapist talking about the genocide we're watching. What's happening in Palestine is very tragic and it's heartbreaking. And I know that a lot of people are so afraid to touch it. But I'm not going to sit up here on this platform as someone who has discussed very openly white supremacy and the ways that that shows up in our modern day and everyday lives and not discuss this like very gross example of what white supremacy and colonialism looks like in real time. Yes, there is bloodshed on both sides. I'm not here to deny that. And it's very tragic because unfortunately, a lot of children, people who are innocent, are wrapped up in this, including the majority Okay, the majority of Palestine, which is made up of children. But why I say that there's no both sizing this thing is because uh, Israel has like the, by far, by far, the backing of some of the biggest military occupations in the world. In fact, Palestine doesn't even have a military. And what is happening, the occupying of Palestine is actually a, a like a remake it's a remix of all of the colonial things that have happened in our history. You cannot hold a people hostage. You cannot take over their land and then expect them to, to literally take it lying down. What happened the other day is a result of decades of oppression. What's happening yesterday and today is literally a militaristic force continuing out their genocide on a group of people with the excuse of what happened a, f a few days ago. Like, this is unacceptable. And I feel like just, oh my God, I understand. Nobody wants to be labeled as anti-Semitic. Um, I just have to be very clear that Zionism is not Jewish people. Every Everybody who is Jewish is not Zionist. And I cannot stand with Zionism because I am against oppression and the stealing of people's lands. This has got to stop. That's the main thing. But I've heard people say if Native Americans came back and wanted to slaughter everybody, wouldn't you be a part? I would get down. Okay, I would be down for the cause. 
y'all let me know if y'all need some backup baby because i don't like it just as much as y'all don't like it we are on stolen and occupied land and we can acknowledge that we can't celebrate indigenous people's day and then also be sitting up here trying to have a, a group of indigenous people wiped out of their homeland it's not how that works um we need to i don't know y'all this is this is overwhelming me yes yes it is overwhelming um Okay, moving on to our next thing. Speaking of which, and the previous account, the previous video mentioned, like tied it into white supremacy to um, like what's happened to what we have done, white people have done to indigenous folks in the United States, which, what's the word I'm looking for? Segways, there we go. Um, Into um, my next post here, which is post A as in Adam from an Instagram account, Janan Matari. Um, she is a Palestinian storyteller. We're going to hear from her a lot um, in this episode. So this is a quote from um, her Instagram. Quote, It is no coincidence that some of the world's most profound and respected thought leaders, activists, and freedom fighters have included the liberation of Palestinians in the context of a free Palestine throughout their work. All righteous causes are connected, no matter how hard they work to disconnect them. End quote. Uh, that's going to be a through line um, on a lot of the things that I'm sharing, that it it's a fucking system. Like, there's a lot of similarities, and I'm aware that, like, that can feel overwhelming because it's everywhere, and it goes all the way to the top. Um, but it's also useful because if you know what has worked to dismantle one system, you can use it. Um, there's a lot of lessons to be learned and applied from one system to the next, um, one instance of oppression to the next. So there's there's something useful there, I guess. Okay. Um, moving on, we've got reference number 63 from a TikTok account, Sydney Rosant or Rosant. Um, and she is a black woman who's going to be sharing some uh, quote from Malcolm X. Here we go. For those who side with Israel in this conflict, I have an important question for you. One that's actually posed by Malcolm X himself. He asks, did the Zionists have the legal and moral right to invade Arab Palestine, uproot its Arab citizens from their homes, and seize all Arab property for themselves just based on the religious claim that their forefathers lived there thousands of years ago? Only a thousand years ago, the Moors lived in Spain. Would this give the Moors of today the legal and moral right to invade the Iberian Peninsula, drive out its Spanish citizens, and then set up a new Moroccan nation where Spain used to be, as the European Zionists have done to our Arab brothers and sisters in Palestine? And this is such an important question to ask yourself. What right does Israel have to that land? Truly. Truly, why can't you acknowledge that the Israeli state being where it is has nothing to do with religion and everything to do with British imperialism? Come on now, can we be honest? Can we just be honest? Can we acknowledge 
that Palestinian resistance is them trying to survive, that they are fighting for their lives. They have been under military occupation since 1948. 1948, they've been existing in this apartheid state. Can we acknowledge that? Please, please. Why, why is it now you want to pay attention when Israeli lives are lost? If everyone's life really matters. Now, peace is important, but peace has never been something that Palestinians have experienced. Oh, yeah. Now we're getting into history. So um, the next several videos are going to be talking about the history of um, the Palestinian occupation by Israel and how that came to be. And um, this next this next clip is from uh, Chris Valenti. This is reference number 20. Um, TikTok video at Valenti Videos. He is um, a fellow, a, a white man who covers history in a new light, and he's he's a, a delightful character. Okay, here we go. No, but you don't understand. They're trying to make you think that the Israeli-Palestine conflict is something new, something that just happened in your generation. When realistically, this conflict goes all the way back to 1917, World War One. And if you want to blame somebody, don't blame the Israelis, don't blame the Palestinians, blame the fucking British. And I'm going to tell you why. So we go back to 1917. There's a British foreign secretary named Arthur Balfour. And Arthur Balfour writes a letter to Lord Walter Rothschild of the Zionist Federation movement, right? Now Rothschild is this incredibly wealthy man, right? And he's part of the Zionist movement, which is essentially a movement saying that Jews should have their own home within Israel, right? So. Uh, Balfour, he writes to uh, the Rothschilds and he tells them he expresses great sympathies for the Jewish people and he's trying to get funding from the Rothschilds because they've got so much money. We're in the middle of World War One. Well, we're at the tail end of World War One, but that's the plan is to get funding from the Zionist movement by promising them their own state. But here's the kicker. At the same fucking time, the British are involved in two other agreements. One of them is a secret agreement with the Sharif of Mecca, okay, where they told him, they said, hey, listen, if you and your forces rise up against the Ottoman Caliphate, don't forget during World War One, the Ottoman Empire, they were dogging on bitches. They were fuck, they were, they were winning. They were kicking ass, right? Gallipoli, they kicked the British's fucking ass. So the British approached them and they say, Hey, listen, Sharif of Mecca, if you rise up against the Ottoman Caliphate, we will give you your own Arab state within Israel-Palestine, right? So now they've got the same land promised to two different groups for in exchange for their help. But here's the real kicker. There's a third secret agreement going on. The Sykes-Picot Act, okay, where the British and the French have secretly created a map where they've carved the fuck out of the Middle East and said, okay, so this is going to be French, this is going to be British, but this area that we're calling Palestine, this is going to be like an international zone with Arabs and Jews and Christians and all different sorts of people, right? Which is not what anybody was promised. So now suddenly you've got three different promises about one piece of land. You've got the British saying that uh, us and the French are going to carve it up. You've got the Arabs saying, well, we've been promised this land. And you've got the Zionists saying, well, well, we've been promised this land. And then the war ends. And what happens is 
30 years of British occupation, okay? Where the British, they start, as soon as uh, like Jewish people arrive in England, they are provided with Palestinian passports. They are given, uh, you, you know, uh, transportation to Palestine. This is the way that the, that the British were trying to solve the anti-Semitic problem throughout all of Europe. But it ended up creating an entirely new problem. Which you don't even, a lot of people try to blame the Israelis, a lot of people try to blame the Palestinians, but at the core of this problem, blame the British. Yeah. Okay. Which is not surprising, because the British Empire has been... Hmm. Yes. All right. Moving on to the next video here. Now, this is from another white man who uh, covers leftist politics on TikTok. Um, his name is James Ray, and his TikTok handle is at James Gets Political. Um, this is reference number 46, and this is a conversation that he's basically, he's playing both sides of a conversation, um, so you're going to hear his voice playing both people. Here we go. So wait, are you saying that Israel's occupying Palestinian land? What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, like, there's, like, technical ways they did it, but I think the most accurate way of saying it simply is, like, they stole it, right? Okay, um, and do you mean, like, they stole, like, in 1967, like, the West Bank, Gaza, and East Jerusalem, the OPT? No, no, um, I actually mean all of it, and I can kind of explain that if you are interested. Yeah, right, because, like, Israel was founded in 1948, right? Like, that's how the whole thing came to be. So it's a little more complex than that. Uh, Zionist colonization of historic Palestine goes as far back as like the 1880s. It really took off particularly after the 1917 Balfour Declaration, which was like the British endorsement essentially of Zionist colonial ambitions in historic Palestine. Uh, they continued their colonial project for years and years and years. There was a revolt in 1936 that the British and Zionist militias put down by 1939. Uh, and then in the 1940s, they started developing this plan called Plan D. Uh, in 1947, these series of plans that culminate in Plan D or Plan Delete were, you know, activated. And you get these series of ethnic cleansing campaigns that culminated in the ethnic cleansing of like 750,000 or more Palestinians from upwards of 520 cities, towns, and villages. Palestinians call this period of time the Nakba, right? Uh, Israelis celebrated as like their founding period. Okay, so that's like really fucked up. What, what happened to them? Well, I mean, a lot of Palestinians were murdered. Uh, there were instances of like what could amount to acts of genocide, uh, the total demolition and clearing of entire villages, etc. Uh, just mass horrific acts of violence. Uh, a lot of Palestinians ended up in refugee camps in both internally within historic Palestine, but also in like Jordan, Lebanon, Syria, etc. Uh, and they're still there, like them and their descendants and others who have been displaced culminate like four plus million people that are unable to ever return to their homes, despite having the internationally recognized right of return for refugees, because Israel refuses to let them back in because Israeli planners and Israeli politicians consider them to be a demographic threat. Okay. Wow. That is... What the fuck? Yeah, it's a whole thing. And a lot of those refugees actually ended up in the Gaza Strip, which is, you know, as of now, under a total air, land, and sea blockade that has been existing for like a decade and a half that's basically turned them into an open-air prison. Uh, you can't even get, like, basic construction materials in there without Israeli approval. So while Israelis are, like, bombarding civilian buildings like mosques, hospitals, uh, residential buildings, apartments, and things like that, sanitation facilities, they're also denying Palestinians the ability to, like, get things in to even begin to rebuild. They've, like, packed, like, two million people. Uh, most of which are like, you know, under the age of 25, like almost half of them are under the age of 18, um, into what is essentially a camp that they're testing munitions on. It's, uh, it's really fucked up. The way you talk makes it seem like 800,000 Palestinians were killed. They were moved away from land that wasn't even theirs anymore. What, what the fuck is that guy talking about? 
Oh, yeah. Uh, ignore him. Zionists do this whole thing where they try to, like, downplay the systematic ethnic cleansing campaigns that led to the creation of their project and, like, the continued ethnic cleansing of Palestinians that allows it to be maintained, uh, as well as the apartheid, the genocide, the murder, et cetera, the mass detention, all these things. Uh, Zionists don't really like to talk about them, or if they do, they propagandize around them to make them seem either justified or not as bad as they really were. Oh. Okay, so fuck that guy? Yeah, absolutely fuck that guy. Right. So the 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 third voice that was actually more of the same dude um, was reading a comment about um, that was basically from a Zionist um, that he was responding to. Anyway, if you want to see the video again, this is number 46 that we just heard. Um, let's talk about the Nakba for a second. Um, I'm going to be reading from this is reference number N as in. Well, Nakba um, or Nancy um, on Wikipedia, which defines um, the Nakba as Arabic for the disaster, catastrophe or cataclysm. Also known as the Palestinian catastrophe was the destruction of the Palestinian society and homeland in 1948 and the permanent displacement of a majority of the Palestinian Arabs. The term is used to describe both the events of 1948 and the ongoing occupation of the Palestinians in Sorry, my alarm just went off. Um, and the ongoing occupation of the Palestinians in the Palestinian territories, like the occupied West Bank and the Gaza Strip, as well as their persecution and displacement in the Palestinian territories and in Palestinian refugee camps throughout the region. And we're going to hear a lot more about that um, in the following videos. So now we're going to hear from Siba, um, who is an Afghani woman. Um, this is reference number 13. And guys, if there's nothing else that makes me really think very seriously about my, um, the handles that we use on social media, I am going to be citing really brilliant and profound analysis from people with just the silliest handles. Um, and Siba, who's about to talk about genocide, her handle is at local wine mum. Um, but we're going to take her really seriously because this is really fucking serious. So here we go. We are witnessing an historic and important moment in Palestine right now. And I'm sick and tired of false narratives being pushed. So for anybody that's, you know, just repeating Western rhetorics or has no idea what's actually going on, let me explain it for you. As you can see, this area is Palestinian territory. This is the Gaza Strip. And this border part is inaccessible for most Palestinian people. They cannot cross the border easily. The Gaza Strip has been under military siege for several decades. There are many people inside of Gaza who have been born there but never left this area because they can't. It's Israeli forces who control who can go out and go into Gaza and Palestine in general. From streets to airports or whatever else, they control it. It's not Palestinians who control it. Yesterday, resistance fighters have been able to break through this border for the first time and have been able to claim some of the land back that was stolen from them. The same border that has kept them imprisoned and isolated for decades. One of the areas they claim back, by the way, used to be called the cinema because Israeli settlers used to go there and watch Israel throw missiles at Gaza. This is how they would spend their free time and they would enjoy it. And I don't want to hear anybody say, oh, they didn't know what was going on in Palestine, Gaza, whatever they knew. They knew and they supported it. If you are claiming to stand with oppressed people anywhere on the world, Ukrainians, Afghans or whatever else, but you do not stand with Palestinians, you don't stand with oppressed people. The Israeli government has spent decades building an apartheid state, a confirmed apartheid state. And you are angry that Palestinians are trying to break out of that? That they're not just happy with the status quo and are actually trying to get back the freedom that they and every single other human being on this planet deserve? Israel has broken countless human rights laws. 
something that is international and universal. They have oppressed Palestinians for decades, kicked them out of their house, ethnically cleansed hundreds of thousands of them, and are the reason that over 70% of Palestinians are refugees now. While all of this was happening, most Western nations were quiet, besides Ireland. But now that Israel had to experience something that Palestinians experience every single day, one time, Everybody's outraged. And you have all these famous people and politicians posting things about, oh, I stand with Israel, when you know they have absolutely no understanding of what is going on, especially the celebrities. I'm sorry, but Kylie Jenner could probably not even point out the Gaza Strip to you on a map. But now she's posting, I stand with Israel to her 400 million followers. And not to forget that Israel has done all of the things that I previously stated, yet Western nations still call it the only democracy in the Middle East. Not gonna lie, not surprising when you look at all of the atrocities, these modern and advanced and amazing Western countries have committed in developing nations to secure their own democracy and freedom. And just to clarify this entire situation for you, these are official UN numbers up until 2020 that show you how many people have passed away on the Palestinian side and how many people have passed away on the Israeli side. And, and hang on, um, this is a, I'm interjecting in the middle of this video. This is a, a an image, she's showing an image from the United Nations with the number of deaths and injuries on in Palest of Palestinians and deaths and injuries of Israelis from 2008 to 2020, the the numbers, the total. Um, oh, I can't see her fingers in the way. Hold on. There we go. And she's saying, and yet all of this was ignored. So the total number of deaths in 12 years, Israelis. 251 Palestinians 5,590 and that's from the UN so I'm going to rewind her just a little bit and then keep going here we go and how many people have passed away on the Israeli side and yet all of this was ignored and sometimes even encouraged well, every single time something happened on this side, it was uplifted and talked about. And now that Palestine is taking back its land, will people get hurt? Yes. Innocent civilians? Yes. Is it tragic? Of course it is. But this is something Israel should have thought about before legally occupying Palestinian land. There is not a single Palestinian person who has not been affected by the things that the Israeli government has done. This isn't something new the way, you know, media wants you to believe. This has been going on for decades, even before the 40s. It has started during the First World War when the British had multiple secret treaties with different countries promising them all their own land, which was in the area of Palestine, of course. Palestinians have tried the peaceful route. They have. It did not work. Colonize or oppress people all over the world have the right to fight back with whatever means necessary. The only reason Israel cares now is because they have been served with the same medicine they have been serving Palestinians for decades. If other oppressed people would fight back the same way, nobody would even bat an eye. They would celebrate it. I'm Afghan. Imagine if my people would finally be able to get rid of the Talibs. People would be so happy about that. They would not care about casualties. They would not question our means. But when it's a mostly Muslim and brown demographic fighting back against a demographic that is not mostly Muslim and brown, it becomes an issue. And it mostly also becomes about their religion and their looks. Regardless of the fact that being Palestinian is not a religion, it doesn't mean you have to be automatically Muslim. There are also atheist Palestinians. There are Christian Palestinians, they're even Jewish Palestinians. But who am I trying to explain this to? You even have Western media trying to compare a group of people trying to get their freedom back after decades to what happened in the USA on the 11th of September. Not surprising since the same USA gives Israel multiple billions of dollars in taxpayer money every single year. Money that is most definitely used to strengthen the apartheid state that exists right now. So obviously US Western media and other Western media would try to spin this narrative so it doesn't look like they are supporting the wrong side here. 
This illustrates how Palestine's land was stolen over the years. How can you look at this and say Palestinians have no right to try to get back what is rightfully theirs? Something that was taken from them without permission. From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Okay, we're going to get some more history here in a second. Um, this is This next video is from um, a Palestinian man named Subi. Um, this is reference number three. His Instagram account is at I have no spy s b e i h dot jpeg, <laughs> um, and this is what he has to say. Just to clarify, Gaza is not a country. It is not an independent state, the same way that Israel is. It does not have its own fully functioning, fully independent government. It does not have its own military power, nor does it even have full control over its land. Gaza is an occupied territory in Israel. Israel has full control over what goes in and out of Gaza, who goes in and out of Gaza. They have full control over the borders. They have full control over the airspace, the water. They have control over Gaza's electricity, water, food supply, imports, exports, even medical supplies and humanitarian aid. Israel has control over it. Palestinians there do not have free movement in and out of Gaza. They have to obtain special permission from Israel just to leave and just to enter. Israel has had a full military blockade on Gaza since 2006, as in anything and everything surrounding Gaza, Israel has control over. That's why people refer to Gaza as the largest open air prison in the world. It's literally a jail. It's a massive bubble that Palestinians have to live in based on however Israel wants them to live. If Israel wants to cut off electricity to Palestinians and only give them three hours of electricity a day, which they very often do, they have the freedom to do that because they have full control over Gaza. Israel doesn't even allow Gaza to have their own airport. They destroyed it in the early 2000s and because Israel has control over the airspace, they can't rebuild one and just start flying out. Palestinians have to obtain permission from Israel to leave Gaza and then if Israel grants them permission to leave Gaza, they have to take a bus from the border between Egypt and Gaza all the way to the airport in Egypt and then they can fly out. Just think about that for a second. People in Gaza literally don't even have the right to have their own airport. That should give you a little bit of insight to what it's like living in Gaza under Israel's control. It's not like Israel is taking good care of these people in their land. No, they're they're treating them like subhuman. This is two million Palestinians living on a sliver of land that is 25 miles by five miles long. When Israel bombs Gaza and there are hundreds dead and thousands injured, they have control over what humanitarian aid enters Gaza. More often than not, they actually prevent humanitarian aid from entering Gaza, whether from the waters or the border with Egypt. And this is literally happening right now. Israel is bombing Gaza and Israel threatened Egypt, telling them to not send humanitarian aid to Gaza. The land mass of Gaza or Gaza Strip is a direct product of the settler colonial state of Israel. Before 1948, Israel did not exist. It belonged to Palestine. It was called Palestine. Britain, who was colonizing Palestine at that time, decided to establish this false state known as Israel on the land of Palestine and began ethnically cleansing Palestinians from the land, killing our people, forcing more than three quarters of a million Palestinians to flee their land. And thus, the state of Israel was born. From then until now, the size of Palestinian land has been shrinking every single day. And what's left is Gaza Strip, 
this little piece of land and the West Bank, which Israel also has full control over. Hamas is not Gaza's government. They are purely an administering power. The actual governing power of Gaza is Israel. Gaza doesn't have a military. The only form of protection the Palestinians there have is militant resistance groups like Hamas. They have nowhere near the military power that Israel has. Israel gets $3 billion of military aid from the US alone every single year. And that's just military aid. What does Gaza have? <laughs> Literally nothing. It's ironic when Israel declares war with Gaza when they're two completely different powers. Even if Gaza wanted to start a military, they can't because Israel controls what goes in and obviously they're not going to let them bring in weapons. So you are very, very wrong and misinformed if you think that Israel fighting with Gaza is a fair fight. Go read, watch any video on YouTube about how Gaza got to become what Gaza is right now. What's happening right now to Gaza is an ongoing issue. Israel bombs the bejesus out of Gaza and then suffocates them, preventing humanitarian aid and food and water from entering. This is nothing new. I literally recorded a podcast episode during the last Gaza attacks just this last May, giving a much more comprehensive breakdown of Gaza. So if you want to learn about it, generic Muslim podcast, Gaza attacks. That again, his podcast is generic Muslim podcast um, called, and the episode is called Gaza Attacks. It was episode nine of season one. All right. More information coming at you here. We've got um, Asim, whose TikTok handle is not your lawyer MD. Um, this is reference number 73 in the spreadsheet. And, um, I was going to say something more. Okay, he's responding to a comment that someone posted that says, I know this has been happening for decades, but we are all just learning. No one deserves to live like the people in Gaza, and the media only breed fear. And this is his response. I'm about to blow your mind. See, I don't care where you land on this issue, but if you're a human being, like a fucking human being, right? Hang with me for one second. So as soon as I heard that Israel cut off Palestine's water, my first thought was, who the fuck cuts off water to millions of children and civilians during a time of war? What kind of a barbaric act is that? And my second thought was, wait, why the fuck does Israel control Palestine's water? And a brief search got me to this fucking article by Amnesty International titled, The Occupation of Water. All right. Soon after Israel occupied the West Bank, including East Jerusalem and the Gaza Strip, the Israeli military authorities consolidated complete power over all water resources and water-related infrastructure in the occupied Palestinian territories, OPT. And I know what you're thinking. Well, they took over existing infrastructure, so build some new one. Israeli Military Order 158 stated that Palestinians could not construct any new water installation without first obtaining a permit from the Israeli army. Since then, the extraction of water from any new source, the development of any new water, water, fucking water, infrastructure would require permits from Israel, which are near impossible to obtain it gets fucking better they are unable to drill new water wells install pumps or deepen existing wells in addition to being denied access to the jordan river right israel even controls the collection of rainwater throughout most of the west bank and rainwater harvesting cisterns owned by palestinian communities are often destroyed by the israeli army 
As a result, some 180 Palestinian communities in rural areas in the occupied West Bank have no access to running water. They don't have access to fucking running water, bro. What the fuck is going on here? Because the resulting disparity in access to water between Israelis and Palestinians is truly staggering. Water consumption by Israelis is at least four times that of Palestinians living in the OPT. Palestinians consume an average of 73 liters of water per day per person, which is well below the World Health Organization's recommended daily minimum, minimum, motherfucking minimum in rural areas. It's as low as 20 liters per person per day. And how much water do Israelis drink? Sure, I'll tell you. By contrast, an average Israeli consumes approximately 300 liters of water per day. You see, we talk a lot about values, but let me tell you something about American values. If I took my fucking dog to a restaurant right now, the server or the owner on their own dime would bring out a cup of water for a stranger's fucking dog. For a stranger's fucking dog. This isn't during wartime. This is status quo. What kind of an insidious, fucking sick fucking government will make it a point to make sure, intentionally, that an entire population stays thirsty. People out here talking about freedom, voting rights, passports, airplanes. Can I get medical? Can I get education? Fucking water. You intentionally deprive a large group of people from having water. You are dehydrating children fucking intentionally. Who the fuck? What is going on here? So that's why you got to make shit up about Palestinians to match the insidious nature of the way that you're treating them. That's fucking disgusting. This is status quo. Water. Yeah. Water. And now, if you're wondering why, why Israel deprives uh, Palestine or Gaza of water, um, we're going to go back to our buddy James Gets Political on TikTok, James Ray. He's the leftist politics guy. And this video is going to start with a recording of the Israeli Minister of Defense, Yoav Gallant, um, speaking in... Oh my God, I actually don't know what language. Hebrew? I don't know. I don't know. It's not English. I'm ashamed of myself for not knowing the answer to that i did want to share though just just for context the the square footage square mileage the area of gaza is 140 there's over 2 million people living in 140 square miles um just for context israel um let's look up the israel square footage square miles whatever the surface area of israel so remember gaza is 140 israel is um 88,500 square miles so gaza is tiny okay so again getting back to our israeli minister of defense and he's going to be speaking in not English, and here's what he says translated. I have ordered a complete siege on Gaza. No electricity, no food, no fuel, no water. Everything is closed. We are fighting human animals, and we are acting accordingly. <laughs> אין מזון, אין מים, אין דלק. 
What you just saw was the Israeli Minister of Defense using outright genocidal language and threatening to cut off the electricity, water, and food of more than two million people. That is one part of a series of reprisals that have been perpetrated by the Israeli government so far after Palestinians broke out of the blockade of the Gaza Strip. Now you might be thinking, it's kind of crazy that Israel can just do that. Just shut off the water, the electricity, and the food access to millions of people. Well, that's kind of the reason Gaza is where it is today. See, for years, Israeli forces and settlers were actively trying to colonize areas within the Gaza Strip. But in the early 2000s, about 2005, the Israelis withdrew and replaced their colonization efforts with an active air, sea, and land blockade to essentially attempt to starve out Palestinians in the Gaza Strip and put them in what is a functional open-air prison. And that blockade has had a lot of devastating effects. Palestinians are restricted from being able to move in and out of the Gaza Strip in many cases. Um, they're unable to get consistent access to food and clean drinking water. In fact, 97% of the water in the Gaza Strip is considered unfit for human consumption. And on top of this, they are met with constant aggression by Israeli forces through airstrikes, bombardments, and other you know acts of aggression that have harmed and killed thousands of people within the Gaza Strip. Like, think about that for a second, right? Uh, Palestinians are getting actively bombed by Israeli airstrikes, airstrikes that are targeting civilian infrastructure and residential housing. And then they are unable to get the construction materials through the blockade to even begin to rebuild. And Palestinians have tried to protest this blockade over the last decade and a half in myriad ways, right? One of those ways were the Great Return Marches, where thousands of Palestinians would march to the wall and attempt to protest its continued existence and the continued blockade of the Gaza Strip. Israelis met that protest with live ammunition, killing hundreds. That's horrible. And what's also horrible is that like over half of the people in the Gaza Strip are under the age of 25, right? Most of these people are kids, kids who might not have ever known a life outside of this blockade, kids who might have never been able to leave the Gaza Strip. As a result of all of this, Israel has functionally turned the Gaza Strip into the world's largest open-air prison. An open-air prison it tests munitions on, that it actively bombards, in which it's massacring civilians regularly. And after a decade and a half of that, Palestinians finally took up armed resistance and broke out. When they did that, the result was, again, outright genocidal language. And as of right now, the continued bombing of residential buildings, hospitals, schools, mosques, and more. As it stands, thousands of Palestinians have been injured in just the last few days, with over 600 to 700 of them being killed so far. That's the reality for Palestinians in the Gaza Strip, and it actually makes it very easy to understand why they fought so unbelievably hard to get out. When you are facing abject subjugation and total annihilation, you will do anything to escape those circumstances, and I think we can really all understand that. But yeah, uh, as always, just something to think about. Free Palestine, and have a great day. Um, so, as of three days ago, just uh, I don't have the numbers for today yet, but as of three days ago... Um, Israel's bombs on Gaza had killed 1,800 Palestinians, 583 of which were children. And that number is undoubtedly higher now. Um, I'm recording this very late in the day on October 16th. Okay, moving on to um, this last video. The one I just played for you is reference number 39. And that was, again, TikTok at James Gets Political. Now we're going back to our buddy Joris um, with the TikTok account Joris Explains. Um, this is reference number 51, and um, he's going to be talking about colonialism. 
Can you explain how Israel is colonialism if Jews are indigenous to the land? Oh, absolutely I can. Not the indigenous part, that's not my place, but the colonialism part, oh yes I can. Colonialism is a global system of oppression that seeks to establish the dominance of Eurocentric knowledge hierarchies and ways of being in the world at the expense of other forms of existence on Earth. That can include settler colonialism, like Europeans in America, but it doesn't have to. As an Afro-Caribbean person, I am extremely careful to not tie my definition of colonialism to the question of indigeneity. Because we were brought across the Atlantic. At the time, we were not indigenous to the Americas. So does that mean we didn't experience colonization? Of course not. The question of who's indigenous to the lands of Palestine and Israel is a debate that I'm aware of, but that I am absolutely not qualified to participate in. And my point isn't actually concerned with it. Because my definition of colonialism is this. This is the map of a colonial power doing a colonialism. Regardless of who's indigenous to that land, one of the two powers, as described by this map, is colonizing the other. Note that I didn't use the disappearing Palestine map that I know is contested. This is a map from the government of Israel. Israel's own description of the way they administer Palestine fits the accepted definition of colonization. The fact that a global power has complete control over the bodies and resources of two million people of color that it doesn't recognize as its own and that it calls animals, that is colonialism in action right now. Yep. All right. Moving on. Um, oh, this next video is very interesting. So again, very silly username talking about a very, very heavy topic. This is um, reference number 64 in the spreadsheet um, from TikTok user at Nuggets on a Roof. Um, and she's going to be talking about architecture. This is fascinating. Here we go. So here's an architect's point of view about um, apartheid. You can spot apartheid just by looking at the urban fabric of the land. You can also spot apartheid just by looking at Israel's building codes. The apartheid state, also known as Israel, loves using their building codes, such as implementing red roofs for Israeli citizens. Why, you ask? Oh, let me tell you why. They implement red roofs because the IOF, the occupational forces, don't want to accidentally drone strike one of their own. So the red roof is a identifier between who's Palestinian and who's a settler. Another thing that's pretty crazy in the architectural realm in the urban fabric is the amount of checkpoints there are. There are around 638 temporary checkpoints for Palestinians to go through every single fucking day. There are 129 permanent checkpoints that Palestinians gotta go every single fucking day. One of the most brutal checkpoints known to Palestinians is checkpoint 300. Checkpoint 300 has a wait time of seven hours. Checkpoint 300 is located in Bethlehem. At least 60,000 Palestinians go through Checkpoint 300 every single fucking day. Going back to the Gaza Strip real quick. Gaza used to have a airport it opened in 1998. It was called the Yasser Arafat Airport. Unfortunately, because the apartheid state is a petty bitch, they bombed the airport into oblivion and it closed in 2001. Put this in perspective, there are 6 million Palestinians living in diaspora. There are 2.2 million Palestinians living in the Gaza Strip. There are 3 million Palestinians living in the West Bank. 6 million of those Palestinians living in diaspora cannot return. If so, they are heavily questioned in the Israeli airport for just being Palestinian. And just to put in perspective of what's happening in Gaza right now, it's again, 2.2 million Palestinians, median age is 18, half of the population is under 15 years old, 97% of the water is undrinkable, okay? It takes 
15 years to build one water well in Gaza. As of 2014, the apartheid state has destroyed over 215 water wells. And what to conclude from an architectural point of view, Palestinians do not have the freedom of movement on their land. They do not have the right to build their own shelter on their land. They do not have the right to farm on their land. So to summarize this up, if the international community really gave a shit about Palestinians, they would have acknowledged the Palestinian grievances long ago. And to add um, her video, she has screenshots of statistics and headlines and reports and whatnot to support all of her claims. Most of these videos do, um, uh, which you're missing if you're just listening to this podcast, because this is just audio. Okay. Um, moving on, we have um, uh, the Mehdi Hassan show um, on TikTok is the account. Um, he is a British American journalist of Indian dis- descent and he's having an interview um and this is uh, reference number 19 and this is what he has to say first of all explain to us what gaza life is like when it's not in active conflict with israel so alex it's a great question it's an important question to consider tonight because what happened in israel was horrific uh, deadly heartbreaking and the israeli government is obviously going to retaliate as you mentioned there uh, there have already been retaliatory airstrikes, but there's talk of escalation, of a ground invasion, of, you know, exacting a price. And you have to understand, when we talk about Gaza in the West, for a lot of people, it's very easy to conflate Hamas, which is a militant group that carries out acts of vicious terror, as they did this weekend, with Gaza, which is a place that contains 2.2 million people, Alex, half of them children. Half of the 2.2 million people are children, and it's one of the most densely populated places on planet Earth. You've got 2.2 million people crowded into 141 square miles. So they automatically become the victims of Israeli airstrikes because it's so crowded, because it's so densely populated. And it's basically like living, Alex, in an open-air prison. And those are my words. Those are the words of the former head of Israeli intelligence just a few months ago, Tamir Pardo. He said, we're treating Gaza like an open-air prison. So that is the context that is so important for us to remember when we talk about Gaza as some kind of, you know, strange, faraway place, people shouting with guns. It's actually a real place with real people, families, and they're living in horrific conditions, Alex. You know, 59% of Gazans live in poverty, 63% food insecure, 70% of young people unemployed, 90% of Gazans have no access to clean drinking water. The UN Secretary General called it hell on earth. How much more hellish is it going to get in the coming days? Yeah, it just cuts off right there. Um, Yeah, so that matters. All right. Um, Next up, we have um, an uh, Instagram um, post. This is reference number E, as in every day, I guess. From Janan Matari, again, um, I've read her post previously. Um, She's a Palestinian storyteller, and this is what her post says, in quotes. I think it's important that you all know Palestinians fully understand the repercussions of our resistance. We cautiously hold on to glimmers of freedom being near because we remember that any hint of power we may have in a brief moment will be met with aggressive retaliation 
a hundred times fold. We are up against a multi-billion dollar backed giant that has the capacity to literally wipe us off the face of this earth in our ancestral lands, and they have been waiting for the right moment to do it. They've convinced you without much effort that they are the victims, that our resistance is terrorism so that you will justify their actions for what they do when they do what they've been waiting to do, which is in their own words that have been broadcasted and echoed across Western nations and politicians, flatten Gaza and expand the lines. As you focus on more unverified reports and interview people who pretend they've lived in some sort of fear to express their Israeli identity or support for Israel and post mindless content of civilians being off limits from the comfort of your infinitely electrically and fuel powered homes filled with more food than the average person can imagine having. Palestinians around the world are bracing ourselves for the very real possibility that we may lose 2 million of our people in a matter of seconds. 1 million children. And we're also ready for you to simply not care about it. End quote. Um, up next, we're back with James Gets Political. Um, that's his TikTok handle. And this is reference number 12. And this is a video of him responding to a comment that says, This dooms peace even more. All this short-lived offensive will do is embolden far-right politicians to crush and annex Gaza and the West Bank. And this is his response. So I've noticed a lot of people in the West, particularly the Americans, have this kind of weird view uh, where they're like, oh my God, like Palestinians are doing violent things. Don't they know that the reprisal is going to be terrible? Don't they know that like this is only going to cause Israel to do like really fucked up shit? It's interesting to me for a couple of reasons. One, um, Israel doesn't need justification to do horrific things. They've been doing it for decades, right? The very foundational period of Israel from like 1947 to 1949 involved the mass ethnic cleansing of upwards of 750,000 Palestinians from upwards of 520 cities, towns, and villages, right? And these acts of ethnic cleansing, these acts of genocide, these horrific atrocities haven't stopped, right? They've been an ongoing component of Israel's colonization process in historic Palestine. Israel doesn't need an excuse, for that, right? It just does that, no matter what the Palestinian response is, right? These ethnic cleansing campaigns, knocking entire villages down, forcing Palestinians off their lands, these violent takeovers, right? Um, mass detention, all of these things exist regardless of the Palestinian response, because Israel is fundamentally trying to eliminate Palestinians and their national sentiments in all forms but nostalgia. And that's because this kind of eliminationist dynamic, this wanting of erasing the indigenous people, is just a prime component of a settler colonial entity. But this logic is also interesting and simultaneously frustrating because it kind of just assumes that Palestinians are fucking morons who don't realize that their actions have consequences. And I don't really know how to describe, like, in words how offensive that really is, right? Palestinians understand that the Israeli project will respond violently to their violence, right? But they're not just doing violence for the fuck of it, right? It's not happening in a vacuum. They are doing it to try to liberate themselves from colonial oppression, an oppression that is forcing them into a corner and forcing them to be violent. People don't just want to go and do war, right? These are people who have been backed into a corner, caged, literally in the in the Gazan context, right? Because Israel has turned Gaza into an open-air prison. Over a million fucking people, tightly compacted, with an inability to get regular electricity, regular clean drinking water, to have their basic needs met, right? Like 97% of the drinking water in Gaza is like unfit for human consumption. And these people are also just consistently bombarded. They're watching their families die. They're watching their friends die. They're watching their community be destroyed every single day. They're living under hell, right? That's why they're taking up arms. 
like we as Americans don't quite understand this mentality, right? Because we've never really had to deal with this in a serious way. But like when your life is on the line, when you're backed into a corner, when you're literally living in an open air prison, you know, um, and you feel as if you are going to die there, uh, you're willing to do anything, put your life on the line to liberate yourself and those you care about, right? You're willing to put your life down if you have to for the hope of a better future. And these Palestinians, they know that like these actions could very well result in their own death, in further repercussions, but they collectively understand that the current conditions are unsustainable, right? And that liberation and that fighting for liberation is worth more than living in this hellhole, in this squalor. This is, again, especially true in the Gazan context, right? Because like most Gazans, like over half of people in Gaza are under the age of like 25. Many of them have never left Gaza due to the Israeli blockade. They are literally trying to break out of a prison they have spent their entire lives in to find a better life, to fight for a better future, to end the suffering they have known their entire lives. And then we sit here in the West and we're like, don't these silly Palestinians know that their violence is only going to lead to Israeli reprisals? Like, of course they fucking do, right? Even when they're not violently resisting, they are getting bombed. They are getting arrested. They are suffering in an open-air prison, right? They are, you know, suffering the result of Israeli colonization. They know that very well. And to be honest, most of us, if we were faced with similar situations, similar material conditions, would probably reach the same conclusion, that it is better to fight and die for something better than to live in the hell that you exist in. Even if the odds are stacked against you, even if you're the underdog, even if there's like a 0.001% chance of it all working out, you're still going to do it, right? Because fighting for something, even putting your life down in the process of fighting for something better, is worth more to so many people than living in the hell that they have perpetually lived in their entire lives. But yeah, uh, just something we're thinking about maybe. Uh, as always, free Palestine, and have a great day. I just want to add one thing to that. Um, that was reference number 12, in case I forgot to say that. Um, he said at some point that Americans don't really understand what it's like to live under those conditions. Um, and I want to clarify, white Americans mostly don't understand. There are groups of Americans who do understand what it's like to live under those conditions. Um, there are a lot of Americans in prison who live under those conditions. There are a lot of black Americans in militarized neighborhoods, cities that live under those conditions. There are a lot of native tribes who have been forced under reservations who live under those conditions. So um, it's just us, us white folks um, who are out of prison who don't experience that. All right. Um, moving on to our next, this is, probably my favorite tiktok handle i've ever seen um this is from <laughs> fake jillen halal instead of jake jillen hall it's fake jillen halal um she is a queer muslim palestinian and this is reference uh, number 33 Nonviolent resistance requires an audience and palestinians have been denied our audience for 76 years the same media outlets, the Israeli government and its supporters reporting Israel's current day aggression against the Palestinian people as retaliation are responsible for this outcome. Because this isn't a retaliation. For the Israeli government, this business as usual. One of the biggest, most recent examples of nonviolent resistance by the Palestinian people is the Great Return March between the years of 2018 and 2019. Every day for 18 months, Palestinians from Gaza marched to the border, nonviolently protesting 
for their right to self-determination. As a result, 195 Palestinians were killed and almost 29,000 people were injured. 41 of those who were killed were children. Palestinians will always be called T-E-R-R-O-R-I-S-T's, no matter our form of resistance. And it would be highly uneducated to hold us solely responsible for the tragic outcomes of recent events, especially the suffering of our own people. Yeah, I just want to repeat that that number of the number of people who were injured because Israeli open fire, Isra- the Israeli military opened fire on the protesters who marched to the walls peacefully. That was 29,000 people, thousand, almost 30,000 people were injured during a peaceful protest which was perceived as terrorism. Alrighty. Um, next we have um, <laughs> at Kami Kazval um, on TikTok. This is reference number 15. Um, his name is Kaz and he is a black man and he's going to be talking also about um, I just lost my train of thought. Oh my God. Uh, uh Trying, trying to achieve a um, <laughs> peaceful protest. Okay, there we go. Here's what he has to say. Everybody want to open their mouth with a motherfucking opinion. Where were you three months ago? Where were you then? Because I see a whole lot of motherfucking new faces entering the dialogue calling for peace. I have to make judgments about you based on the radio silence on this, but so much to say about what's going on now. And to the fucking NATO left who were aware at this time and were posting hashtag Palestine What the fuck did you think freedom entailed? How were they going to get free? Okay, because in 2018, Palestinians organized a great march of return where they peacefully went to the border of Gaza to beg, to beg for a country that claims that they are citizens of to let them out of the refugee camps, the open air prison and return home. The IDF opened fire on peaceful protesters, injured 40,000 killed hundreds including children so i'm going to ask again how did you think they were going to get free when you were posting hashtag free palestine good question and this brings us to our next um post here this is reference number k like okay um and this is from an instagram account called um where your voice And this is a post called The Myth of Nonviolent Resistance. And they are citing works by the Instagram accounts at Social Studies for Social Justice and at literally Noam Chomsky. Uh, And this is what the post says. Many people seem to think that the process of political change through peaceful protest looks something like this. Step one, people peacefully protest. Step two, Five question marks. Step three, political change happens. In reality, it looks something closer to this. Step one, people peacefully protest in a way that the government is unable to ignore. Step two, the peaceful protesters are unjustly beaten, tear gassed, and shot, shot at in a public setting by the government. Step three, the general population witnesses the violence and becomes outraged and sides with the protesters. Step four, the government gives in to the people's demands on threat of mass revolt. 
Political change always has, I'm still quoting, by the way, this Instagram post, political change always has and always will occur through violence. The only question is who the violence is being inflicted upon. What the privileged don't realize is that by only supporting nonviolent resistance, they aren't wishing for nonviolence. They are asking us to inflict violence upon ourselves to gain sympathy. So when someone says, I only support peaceful protests, what they really mean is, I only support protests in which protesters allow themselves to be publicly brutalized in hopes that their suffering will inspire pity among the masses. Either that or more likely they are simply looking for a performance devoid of any real potential for change rather than an actual protest. In other words, they support the people's right to protest as long as it remains ineffective. Examples of acceptable violence throughout history. And this is a bullet point list here. The American Revolution. Oh, let, me, let me start over. These are examples of acceptable violence throughout history. The American Revolution. The colonization of North America. Christopher Columbus slash Spanish colonizers quote, discovering the, quote, new world, i.e. committing genocide against indigenous peoples. U.S. military ventures worldwide. Police murders of unarmed black people. Examples of unacceptable violence throughout history. And here's another bulleted list. Protesters burning and destroying property. People fighting against U.S. Western military intervention in their own countries. Colonized people revolting against colonial governments. Revolts of enslaved people, native people defending their lands. When we call for nonviolence, who are we talking to? And that is the end of that Instagram post. It's on nine slides, which is why there can be that much information. Okay, um, moving on to reference number or letter G. Um, this is from the nonprofit organization Human Rights Watch from June 14th, 2022, so over a year ago. And this is entitled Gaza, Israel's Open Air Prison at 15. Israel-Egypt Movement Restrictions Wreak Havoc on Palestinian Lives. So this is um, written 15 years after the... Well, we'll get into it. Why am I? I just read the thing, Joy. Okay. Um, because, we, and I'm still going <laughs> to, this is what I edit out for you guys normally. Um, I just lost my train of thought again. Oh, we've heard the phrase open air prison a lot. And so I thought I'd talk about these phrases and where they come from for a second. Okay, so, quote, Israel's sweeping restrictions on leaving Gaza deprive its more than 2 million residents of opportunities to better their lives, Human Rights Watch said today on the 15th anniversary of the 2007 closure. The closure has devastated the economy in Gaza, contributed to fragmentation of the Palestinian people, and forms part of Israeli authorities' crimes against humanity of apartheid and persecution against millions of Palestinians. Israel's closure policy blocks most Gaza residents from going to the West Bank, preventing professionals, artists, athletes, students, and others from pursuing opportunities within Palestine and from traveling abroad via Israel, restricting their rights to work, 
and an education. Restrictive Egyptian policies at its Rafah crossing with Gaza, including unnecessary delays and mistreatment of travelers, have exacerbated the closure's harm to human rights. Israel, with Egypt's help, has turned Gaza into an open-air prison, said Omar Shakir, Israel and Palestine director at Human Rights Watch. As many people around the world are once again traveling two years after the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, Gaza's more than 2 million Palestinians remain under what amounts to a 15-year-old lockdown. End quote. And then this next reference, hold on, switching seats. Um, this next reference is from the Office of the High Commissioner for the United Nations Commission on Human Rights. This is a press release they put out on July 10th, 2023. So what was that? Uh, four months ago? Three months ago. And this is reference number H. The title is Dismantle Israel's Carceral Regime and Open-Air Imprisonment of Palestinians, says UN expert. And now I'm quoting the, the article here. Israel's military occupation has morphed the entire occupied Palestinian territory into an open-air prison, where Palestinians are constantly confined, surveilled, and displaced, a UN expert said today. Over 56 years, Israel has governed the occupied Palestinian territory through stifling criminalization of basic rights and mass incarcerations, said Francesca Albanese, UN Special Rapporteur, Rapporteur? It's spelled strangely, on the situation of human rights in the Palestinian territory occupied since 1967 in a new report in the Human Rights Council, in a new report to the Human Rights Council. Under Israeli occupation, generation of, generations of Palestinians have endured widespread and systematic arbitrary deprivation of liberty, often for the simplest acts of life and the exercise of fundamental human rights, Albanese said. Without condoning violent acts that Palestinians may have committed during decades of Israeli's illegal occupation, most of their criminal convictions have resulted from a litany of violations of international law, including due process violations that taint the legitimacy of the administration of justice by the occupying power. The report finds that since 1967, over 800,000 Palestinians, including children as young as 12, have been arrested and detained under authoritarian rules enacted, enforced, and adjudicated by the Israeli military. Palestinians are subject to long detention for expressing opinions, gathering, pronouncing unauthorized political speeches, or even merely attempting to do so, and ultimately deprived of their status of of protected civilians. They're often presumed guilty without evidence, arrested without warrants, detained without charge or trial, and brutalized in Israeli custody. Mass incarceration serves the purpose of quelling peaceful opposition against the occupation, protecting the Israeli military and settlers, and ultimately facilitating settler colonial encroachment, the special reporter said. Bundling Palestinians as the collective, quote, security threat, Israel has used draconian military orders to punish the exercise of basic rights. These measures have been used as tools to subjugate an entire population, depriving them of self-determination, enforcing racial domination, and advancing territorial acquisition by force, she said. End quote. There's more to the press release, but that's the, that's the, t the top part of it. All right. Moving on to reference number 16. 
This is again TikTok account at fake Jilin Halal. Um, and this is what she has to say. If your response to indigenous resistance against an ongoing 76 year long multi billion dollar ethnic cleansing project is to support the entity that is responsible for said project, which is the Israeli government, backed by the U.S. government, with the claim that you believe in human rights, then human rights is not really your concern, or you don't see Palestinians as human at all. Because by staunchly supporting a government that is responsible for 76 years of war crimes, ethnic cleansing, more than a million people displaced since 1948. You are supporting ongoing human rights violations of the Palestinian people. And for those supporters to assume that what Palestinians are celebrating are civilian deaths instead of the hope that we can finally be free highlights how you presume us to be monsters in this situation while expecting us to accept our own civilian tragedies of murder, house demolition, displacement, war crimes as casualties of war. And you know what? We're just going to listen to that again. If your response to indigenous resistance against an ongoing 76-year-long multi-billion dollar ethnic cleansing project is to support the entity that is responsible for said project, which is the Israeli government, backed by the U.S. government, with the claim that you believe in human rights, then human rights is not really your concern, or you don't see Palestinians as human at all. Because by staunchly supporting a government that is responsible for 76 years of war crimes, ethnic cleansing, more than a million people displaced since 1948, you are supporting ongoing human rights violations of the Palestinian people. And for those supporters to assume that what Palestinians are celebrating are civilian deaths instead of the hope that we can finally be free highlights how you presume us to be monsters in this situation while expecting us to accept our own civilian tragedies of murder, house demolition, displacement, war crimes as casualties of war. <sighs> Okay. Um, next up, we have reference number 17. This is from the Instagram account for Mohammed Elkard, who is a writer from Jerusalem. And this is an interview between Mohammed Elkard, who's the male voice you'll hear, and Rachel Johnson from Latest Breaking News. Here we go. Situation of lose, lose. Which has been obtaining for far too long, for decades, really since the inception of the State of Israel, because the security situation in, for Israelis isn't great. The, 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 the security situation and the conditions for Palestinians in occupied territories is acknowledged to be terrible. So how can, how can lose-lose ever, wait, how can lose-lose ever become win-win? Is there ever a situation that it's, you envisage? It's certainly not. It's certainly not lose. Let's 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 start here. Let's start here. It's certainly not a lose lose situation. There is one population that lives under a system which has been deemed by many many global human rights organizations as a system of apartheid. Me and my personally, my family are not residents 
are not citizens of the state of Israel despite living in Jerusalem. We live in constant fear of settler expansion, of home demolition, of home evictions and home expulsions. I fear for my life. Um, I do not have the luxury of having a, a, a shelter to run into, let alone another passport that I could just use to run to another country the second there's an alarm going off. I do not have any of those luxuries. It is not a win-win. There's a population that lives inside a cage without citizenship, without right to movement, without access to clean water, and there's a, and there's a population that enjoys its full rights. I mean, if you if if your major concern is that they have some bits of anxiety and some bits of anxiety here and there when when Hamas yeah, fires, I think you are minimizing way, you're minimizing the exper the Israeli experience. No, no, I, in think the last you're minim hours. I think you're minimizing. I think you're when you compare an occupied population, a population that has been ethnically cleansed, a population that lives under a system of apartheid, to a population that is afraid of the population that is occupying. You are minimizing, not me. And it's really we have to do diligence, do due diligence when we're reporting about these things. I like that comparison at the end that you can't compare the experience of the occupied group who have been imprisoned, who have been ethnically cleansed um, to the the fear by the of the occupiers of the people they're imprisoning, like the experience of Palestinians living in Gaza their fear level of Israel is not the same as Israel's fear level of Palestinians when one group of people can cut off the water to the other. Yeah, it's not a fair comparison. All right. Um, and here we have um, reference number 78 from TikTok account at Mondo Weiss, which covers news and opinion about str the struggle for freedom in Palestine. We've been watching Israel bomb Gazans relentlessly for the past seven days. 1,800 Palestinians have already been killed, including 583 children. By the time I post this video, that number will undoubtedly be even higher. Israel has dropped 6,000 bombs on Gaza in six days. That's almost as much as the U.S. dropped in a year in the height of its war on Afghanistan. We thought that it couldn't get any worse, but today it did. We woke up to news that the Israeli army had ordered more than 1 million Palestinians in the northern Gaza Strip to flee to the south in 24 hours. One million people in 24 hours. That is half of Gaza's population forced out of their homes and sent on a death march. As the day dragged on, we saw images like this that forced us to remember these images. The Nakba, a catastrophe 75 years ago, repeating itself once again before our very eyes. Later in the evening, we saw Gazans reporting scenes straight out of a horror movie. As innocent civilians were fleeing their homes in trucks, cars, and on foot, Israel bombed them too. At least 40 people were killed and 150 were injured while they were fleeing. 
By the time I post this, that number will probably rise too. I don't think people, especially those of us who have been privileged to never experience ethnic cleansing firsthand, can even begin to comprehend or fathom what is happening in Gaza right now, the sheer levels of destruction. I've tried to write about it, I've tried to make videos, and I, like many others, still feel hopeless, like I'm just screaming into this void. I don't know what else to say to make you listen or to make you feel that what is happening to Gazans and to the Palestinian people is wrong. So I will leave you with the words of my colleague, Tariq from Gaza, who fled with his family today from Gaza City in the north to Khan Yunus in the south. Like most Gazans right now, he doesn't have internet and his phone service is spotty. So all of this was relayed to me over the phone. I don't know what to say. The situation is horrible. It's a disaster. They bombed people as they fled Gaza City. Did you see that? They killed people as they were leaving. We are lucky to be alive. Thousands and thousands of people have fled. Here in Khan Yunis, people are sleeping in the streets because they have nowhere to go. The grocery stores are empty. The line to fill up some water to drink will take you three hours. The line to buy some bread is longer than five hours. People who have come from the north to the south know that we are going to be targeted next and that they will force us all into Egypt or they'll just kill us. It's ethnic cleansing happening. It's real. I hope we will survive I hope we will live. So next we're going to hear from a Christian divine who has a TikTok account at XAN. It's Christian, but with an X divine. Um, this is reference number 75. Um, and um, he's a black man from Louisiana. Um, this is a video in response to a comment that says, Personally, I think one of the issues is people very easily name anti-Semitism, but skirt around naming anti-Arab or, an or Islamophobia. And this is what he has to say about that. So how does Royal Palestine take, and I'm going to give this take to you not as like a creator or like a think, I'm giving this take to you just like as the nigga that I am, bro. When five days ago I made a video saying be very careful with who they label as a terrorist because they're going to use that to harm civilians. And then when today the IDF announced that they were giving a 24 hour warning for all civilians to leave the north of Gaza because they were about to bomb the fuck out of it. And the UN was like, hey cuz, you can't do that. Don't do that. And Israel was like, we're giving them a warning, so they better be out of there. I don't think the issue was me not calling that Islamophobic. Nigga, that's a war crime. Oh, well, I think one of the issues, nigga, they are about to blow up hundreds of thousands of people. I am from Louisiana, and even with hurricanes being a regularly seasonal occurrence, and even with there being electricity, food, and water, and better resources, you could not get everyone out of New Orleans in a day. I said what I said. 
very specifically because to me that's the part that make this is all oh why isn't somebody calling it is on it's a war crime they're about to commit a war crime and when the u.n was like hey that's a war crime they just said okay Hamas is 20 to 25,000 people. There are 2 million people in the Gaza Strip. In case you didn't catch that last part, he said Hamas is 20 to 25,000 people. And there are 2 million people in the Gaza Strip. By which I think he means to say that if you're trying to wipe out Hamas... By bombing the Gaza Strip, you're going to kill a lot more people who are not Hamas than who are. All right, that was reference number 75. We're now going to reference number two, which is from um, Mohammed Elkurd again. He's the writer from Jerusalem. He's giving an interview with ABC News. And this is, yeah, from his Instagram account at Mohammed Elkurd. Here we go. Now, uh, we're seeing these protests all around the world from Arab communities and Muslim communities, uh, angry, sad at what they're seeing. Can you just give us a sense of the depth of feeling, what, why people are coming out in their numbers? I think the protests that we're witnessing today in Amman, for instance, is one of the biggest I certainly have ever seen. Just give us a sense of how people feel about what's going on. Absolutely. I mean, people people are devastated. We are talking about hundreds of thousands, millions of lives, millions of families that are experiencing war, millions of people who have lost it, entire families have been wiped off of the public record by the Israeli regime in the past seven days. People are devastated. People are afraid for their loved ones. And it's just not it's not just Arabs and Muslims. This is not just Arabs and Muslims. This is all people of good conscience around the world rising up against war, against genocide, against escalation. This is um, this is what's happening. And if you've been looking at any Western media, UK, USA, in the past one week, you'll see images of Palestinian children murdered by the Israeli regime with headlines that will suggest that these are Israeli children. You'll see images of Palestinian residential buildings um, being bombarded and blown to bits with headlines that suggest that these are Israeli buildings suffering terrorism. There is manufacturing consent happening all over the world, but I have faith that people are not idiots. People can tell the truth when they see it. I mean, the images speak for themselves. I just want journalists around the world to do their jobs. We're not asking anybody a favor. We're just asking people to be truthful. Yeah, we're going to need to talk a lot more about propaganda. Um, but this is an hour and a half, over an hour and a half long so far. So um, I'm going to pause here. I'm going to upload this section. Um, and then I will do the next video. And we'll just keep rolling them out until we get through all my 80 plus um, references here. Um Thank you for joining me for this very atypical episode, um, but I think it's important because it's a fucking genocide. Like, yeah. Anyway, I'm I'm gonna have action items. There's um, accounts and. And um, 
public toolkits and documents and stuff of people sharing action items, ways to get involved, ways to help. Um, and I'm going to get into those in a lot more detail in a, a couple coming um, videos. But I do want to mention one th something you can do right now. Um, write to your representatives, for starters. So your, your senators, your congresspeople, um, write to the White House. Um, if for no other reason than to than to bombard our elected officials with public letting them know what our public sentiment is. Um, there have been protests um, this last weekend. Um, I don't know if there are going to be protests this coming weekend, um, but um, yeah, I'll, that's another thing to keep your eye out for. Um, but another thing to do is to write to news media and tell them they got to do fucking better. I'm going to cover that a lot more in the next episode or the one after that. There, I think there may be two more that I have. Um, but we got somebody's, we got to hold the news accountable because the propaganda that they're sharing, um, Western media is sharing propaganda that is overwhelmingly Zionist, overwhelmingly pro-Israel, overwhelmingly anti-Palestine, and it's getting people killed. So we will talk about that more in upcoming episodes. But for now, I'm going to leave you with the same video that I started with because I'm reiterating my sentiment about this. And this is again from the Utica Masjid, um, which is the Utica Mosque. Um, the TikTok account is at Utica Masjid, and this is reference number 82 in the spreadsheet. We're with the Palestinian resistance 100%. No ifs, no ands, no buts, no equivocations, no apologies, no condemnations. We don't need to go any further than that, right? Some people want to criticize the table manners of a starving person. You don't criticize the table manners of a starving person. You let them eat, right? You want to talk about, well, they shouldn't be doing things this way or they should be doing things that way. All right, get your boot off my neck and then right? And it's like, this occupation has been going on for however many years. Stop the occupation and then we'll talk. Then we can talk about table manners. Then we can talk about this tactic and that tactic, right? But what happens is every single time is that we, we zoom in on the details and we forget about the bigger picture. And that's why we say Palestine has to be free first, period. And then we'll talk. Alrighty. So thanks for, thanks for joining me again, guys. And, um, yeah, I'll just, do my usual thing and end this super abruptly. This has been Let's Therapize That Shit with your host, me, Joy Gerhard. If you like what you heard, please rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends about it. I'll see you next time. Intro and outro music is Swan Lake Opus 20 by Tchaikovsky, performed by the London Symphony Orchestra, conducted by Anatoly Fistulari, and released on LP by Richmond High Fidelity London Records in 1952.